Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from us two fellas at O3C Games. Who are we? I'm Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. The Genesis Quest. And we are chatting about our excellent love of excellent video games. Announcement! Announcement! Do you know how many hours a week we put into making this show the product that it is? The quality product that it is? I'll tell you what, it's a lot. We won't go into minute figures, but it's a lot. And we enjoy doing it, but we also enjoy people saying... Good job. We like listening to it. The easiest way that you can say we like listening to it is by leaving a review or leaving a rating on any podcast platform or catcher of your choice. It does make a tremendous difference. It does help to push our podcast forwards and upwards along the kind of algorithmic railway that drives all content on the internet these days. Other ways you can say you enjoy listening to it, of course, is to share it with friends, pass it on to people who might be looking for recommendations, perhaps tweet about it. Perhaps share it on Facebook or any other social media platform of your choice that you may have migrated to, leaving Twitter like a sinking ship. (laughs) The other thing you can do if you really, really enjoy listening to us is to go to patreon.com slash O3C games and consider pledging a few pounds a month in exchange for a whole manner of wonderful perks. We've got full bonus episodes. We've got a smorgasbord of deleted scenes. We've got some video content now for this series. Every single episode, uncut, ad-free, and available to watch as well as listen to, and a whole bunch of other things that pop up here and there along the way. We'd love for you to get more involved so we can continue to be as involved. So here we are. We are back. Uh, Had an excellent Fortnite report last week. Uh, Lots of food for thought. Jurassic thoughts. Park thoughts. Cave thoughts and noiry thoughts. Uh, we enjoyed all of them, all of them. The full gamut. But this week we are back with the play date, and um, we're very much looking forward to talking about the latest two games that have released in the first season of the play date Omaze and Demon Quest 85. But before we dive into that play date, we are going to catch each other up on what we've been playing this week. What are you buying? What are you playing? I don't, don't don't feel like I've touched base with you massively this week, um, and I think that's probably because you've been very busy. Uh, but have you managed to squeeze any gaming into this last week, Chris? As you say, an insanely busy week with work, so game time has been pretty bitty. There's been half an hour chunks of things here and there because I physically do not function unless I play just a bit of a game here and there. It's remarkably important for my general day-to-day functioning. With Arcade Paradise now off the docket, I have played a range of either very familiar games to help de-stress, stuff I I know well, or just garbage, no-thought games to play for 15 minutes at the end of a very long day. So on the good side, the familiar side, I've done a couple of stages of Res Infinite this week. I played through all of its Area X mode. Obviously, it's all great. It's basically peerless. Georgia watched me play a bit and asked, what's the goal here? (laughs) And whilst at the time I just counted with, well, you shoot the things, you don't get shot. And I just carried on. It's so much more than that to me, at least. And I obviously talked about it for a very long time as my original number one. But just like Tetris Effect, this is a game all about feeling connected to things and the Zen state you can get into just flinging your reticle about and targeting clumps of enemies makes me feel like I'm properly in the center of the matrix. And sometimes you really need that sort of 
all-encompassing feeling. It's a very good game for that. I've played tiny bits of an endless runner called Jumping Joe. It's very similar to Woodgown Wood Guy Jr. from Arco Paradise. If you're into that, oh, I know you, you are, Jonathan Dunn, because you're it. just you're just hitting either the left or right bumper on the controller to ascend a series of platforms. Just going for a high score, then trying again. Upgrade your character with some coins. It's very like mobile friendly sort of thing. But downloading it now. <laughs> I've played half an hour of the truly average Jumanji tie-in game from a few years ago. My goodness. As with so many games, it's inexplicably in my Steam library from some bundle at some point. It's trying its hardest to be a co-op, play the same stages over and over shooter like Left 4 Dead. But if a game like Left 4 Dead is the best in its class, this is probably competing for worst. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. It is perfectly functional, but it has no polish, no individual flavour. It comes from publisher outright games who have made a name for themselves in the last few years by being pretty much the only publisher on the planet now putting out sort of double A movie and TV tie-ins. But this is not one of their strongest. Like as the opposite side of the coin, a few months back, I played a little bit of their Adams Family tie-in that was really mm-hmm. generic, but it was semi-enjoyable as a 3D platformer. But Jumanji really doesn't get anywhere near even that sort of six out of 10 category. It's a nothing game. It's a nothing game. And finally, I've played a few tiny games on the play date. Ooh. We haven't mentioned any side-loaded treats recently. And I don't know if these are quite treats because they're very small little bite-sized things. But I have played a few games there. One is called Gate Crasher. It is a simple score chase that works sort of like an inverted super hexagon as you're flying into the screen and attempting to use the crank to move your ship around to thread the needle on an endless series of obstacles. So it's a nice. pretty good toilet time killer. It's mm-hmm. got you know a, a good amount of shine to it. I think you really notice with these small games, some games when they're made by a single person feel like they're made by a single person. And some games when they're made by a single person make you feel like, oh, they've really, they really put the effort in to just give that little tweak to, to elevate it a little bit higher. The other two games I played on the play date were called Almost Tennis okay. and Doink, both riffs on Pong, essentially. Okay. Almost Tennis is laid out like a pretty standard tennis game, but... Really, you are just reflecting a ball back and forth like in Pong. But the twist is that you can control when to swing your racket. And so with a bit of practice, you can actually control direction and power much more than you would be able to in vanilla Pong. Or badminton. No, what's it called? Shuttlecocks in Arcade Paradise. (laughs) Basically, every episode is going to be coming back to Arcade Paradise for for quite a while, I think. (laughs) Almost Tennis, it's got really good character to it. And interestingly, it was made by a developer called Squid God, who documents all of their Playdate projects via YouTube. And I've watched quite a few of their videos because it's fascinating just to start to see the challenges of working with this sort of technically limited bespoke hardware. So almost tennis, I think they said they finished in about a week. And it's really impressive that a little game is put together and feels this kind of cohesive from such a small window of development. So I find it interesting to have just a a peek behind the curtain sort of thing of how these things are made. Doink is more like a standard Pong game. But the twist here is that after every point you either earn or concede, you choose from two modifiers that will then mix up the gameplay a little bit. So you might choose slower bats or a faster ball or a net that will randomize the ball's direction to travel, stuff like that. It's really simple, but it's a nice proof of concept. And I think it would do well, though, to just really double down on more of the silliness. There's two games that came to mind when I was playing this, and they're both very small releases. I doubt anyone's played them, but an ancient Xbox Live Indie Games release called Super Amazing Wagon Adventure (laughs) and a side-scrolling shooter available on most platforms these days, but again, unknown, called Shutshimi. Both function very similarly in that you get new modifiers applied to either your wagon or ship, respectively, after each round. And the joy of each game comes from how quickly a build can get really silly like far more than in Binding of Isaac, where you're considering how to build something. 
in these, it's just like, this is what you've got now. You, you just have to deal with it. And I think Doink could lean into that if it wanted to say, okay, there's exploding balls this round, or the paddles are invisible for a round, or mm. you need to play a Frogger-style minigame while you're trying to cross the playfield whilst avoiding the ball. Like, There's all sorts of things you could do to really push into this kind of, it's Pong, but not sort of thing. But at the moment, you know, it's functional. It's something to play for two minutes. Nothing wrong with it, but nothing that exciting about it either. And that's been about it, really. Half an hour of a bunch of uh, pretty disparate experiences. <laughs> wow, I've learned something, and thank you. <laughs> Pokemon? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've played played a fair bit more Pokemon Violet this week, and yeah. after my little negative rant about the uh, the downfalls of Pokemon Violet, I did say last episode that I make amends for that. No, well, not amends, but I would, I would seek to balance the scales this week, and I'm going to be more positive, and I'm only going to talk about the positive things that I found in Pokemon Violet. Go on, then. <laughs> no, to be fair, it's not a total tragedy of a game, and there are some nice things in here that I, I, I did touch on a little bit last week. And it does continue the trend of establishing some nice new things that would be good to see taken further in future games. With you know whether that will happen, who knows? It's yet to yeah. be proven. Yeah. But but I have also taken the game to pretty much a hundred percent now, and uh, <laughs> I hate uh, it. And yet, I mean, and yet, and yet, yeah. All all I need to do is get the late game pokemon from pokemon scarlet to complete my pokedex and then i've i've done everything in the game which has probably taken me i don't know 40 hours maybe i haven't actually checked on my on my game file and i, I have found a, a few more things to be positive about in the game so things i've enjoyed let's let's start uh where you basically start the game which is at the uber academy which is the main school that you attend in pokemon violet the one in pokemon scarlet has a different name but I'm sure it amounts to exactly the same thing. And uh, this is sort of your, your central hub, basically, in the world for your character, who, who yes, is a, is a student at said academy. There's quite a good amount of, of, of fun stuff to do around the school, which I had no idea was there, really, because you, you don't need to do any of it. And I, I did not do any of it until I'd done <laughs> most of everything else and then thought, oh, you know what? I, I remember there's a school. Let's go and check that out. And there's loads. You can take classes in a range of different subjects and pass exams, which are honestly a lot more interesting and relevant than I ever thought they, they would be. Like at yeah. first I thought, oh, great more menus and text boxes to navigate to bulk out the story. But I, I genuinely learned quite a lot about the games and the different subjects uh, allows you to sort of come at different game mechanics with different different points of view. So there is a maths class that makes you work out the probability of like critical hit ratios and stuff like that. Mm. Or there is a uh, an art class that helps you uh, identify sort of certain traits of Pokemon through uh, just, just looking at them and the design of things. And yeah, it was it was really nice. And all of the teachers that are teaching the different classes they're all quite good they're varied and interesting characters they've got very sort of bold personalities to them and the more you progress through a teacher's class the more your relationship with the teacher grows and then you're treated to little story scenes between you and your teacher and and then uh, all the way through up to the end you pass your final exam and you'll end up being given like a special quest from each of them and then you get like a final reward and and it's, it's just it's really good it's really interesting i mean it's not quite on the level of like the persona games in terms of like juggling your school life and relationships with all your rpg 
questing. But yeah. it, it, it could be that, you know, that if this idea is, is developed further in future Pokemon games, um, it, it serves as, as just a good sort of foundation in which to, to set a game. And the overall story pulls together in, in actually a really nice way at the end. I'd spoken about the three sort of main storyline strands that are in the game with you trying to beat all the gyms, beat all the Titan Pokemons and take down all of Team Star. And the main three characters that are linked to those storylines, by the time you get to the end bits, uh, they have all joined you in this sort of like four-man squad that you then go into the final end game area, which is, is really, really cool in, in design. Not not in performance, <laughs> but the story sees you descend into this mysterious crater that's right in the the middle of this world, known as Area Zero, where there's all kinds of anomalies um, around. And this is actually where the main difference between Scarlet and Violet really is, because in Violet there is down in this crater there is a, a rift in time, sending Pokemon from the far flung future crossing over into our world. But in Pokemon Scarlet, it's a portal to uh, the, the distant, distant past. Uh, and this makes for some really, really good uh, Pokemon designs because these aren't crazy, mad new Pokemon uh, coming at you like the Ultra Beasts in Sun and Moon who came from a different dimension and really bloody look like it. I, I love them. <laughs> I thought they're fantastic. Yeah. But in these games, uh, they are either like ancient ancestors of Pokemon you know. So you've got these like ancient versions of like Jigglypuff and like Magneton and, and Salamence and a few more really crazy twisted sort of like ancient designs. So you can sort of see and imagine how they've evolved in the Darwinian sense, not in a Pokemon sense, how they've actually evolved over like hundreds of years to become the Pokemon that you know now. Yeah. And then in Pokemon Violet, you've got these like futuristic versions of Pokemon like, like Volcarona and Tyranitar and even Delibird who have like, they've naturally evolved over like hundreds of years into these more like technological cyber Pokemon, but they're, they're really, really cool. And it's a nice twist on the continuing trend of regional versions of established Pokemon, which like yeah. freshen up older Pokemon with, you know, some new designs. Because I'm not a Pokemon aficionado, mm. I know there are these regional variants where it's like, oh, it's Diglett, but with a hat or a mustache or something like that. Yeah. When you are collecting your Infinidex or whatever you're going to call it, but that you have everything, your big box yeah. thing. My living decks. It's called Liv a living, there we go, a living there we decks. Go. You can tell I'm not invested in this yeah. franchise. <laughs> when you are building that, do you need to have variants of these Pokemon? Are they considered as different things? Uh, no. So there's a few different things. So some variants will evolve into a totally different Pokemon. So that like there's a variant of a Meowth from Sword and Shield that evolves into a, a totally different Pokemon than a normal Meowth would evolve into a Persian. Sometimes if like the, the, the regional variant is particularly cool, I'll have one. I'll have it in a, I've got a separate box for like variants. And in the Sword and Shield DLC, there were regional variants of the original three legendary birds from generation one. Okay. So there was like a Galarian, Articuno, Zapdos and Moltres. And, and they, they were really, really cool. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm definitely, even though they don't count as a, they're, they're still the same number in the Pokedex. Yeah. They're cool. So I'm going to keep them. In, in Pokemon Violet and Scarlet, they've taken that one step further because there are regional versions of Pokemon, but they are so different that they are actually totally different Pokemon. So there's like a water type Diglett called Wiglet, and that's a different Pokemon. Is that a different number? It's a different number. Right. Uh, okay. and, and instead of evolving into a Dugtrio, it evolves... Wugtrio. Into a Wugtrio. Hey! You're absolutely right. Hey! <laughs> I'll buy the game off the back of that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's also a like a land-based tentacle and tentacruel 
which are sort of grass type and they look like mushrooms. So like the, they're like the jellyfish heads of them are like sort of the caps of mushrooms. And then like the, the tendrils coming down, are like the, the spores that go into mm. the ground for mushrooms. So you, again, they're not regional tentacle and tentacruel. They are new Pokemon called Toad's Cool and Toad's Cruel mm. and things like that. So it's, yeah, they're always, they're always shaking things up a little bit. But to answer your question, if it's not a different number, it doesn't need to go into the into my living decks. For me, I, I sort of have to draw a line with some completionism yeah, yeah. with this. But speaking of new Pokemon, here are some of my favorite new Pokemon in this new game. Okay, okay. See if you can guess the... You, you might have already seen it, but I'm going to see if you can guess it. The name of a bread dog. A uh, loaf something. Loaf, loaf pup. You know what? It's not that, but we could be here for ages if, if we keep going down this. Uh, we have Fido. Oh, stupid. That evolves, uh, that evolves into Daxbun. Got these lo- okay. lovely, lovely okay. baked goods dog Pokemon. They're, they're wonderful. Daxbun's pretty good. There are some dark mobster dog Pokemon, Maschiff and Mabostiff. Uh, who are, who are great, and there's there's some spooky dog Pokemon, uh, Grievard and Houndstone, some great new dogs. There is a a tumbleweed Pokemon blowing around the deserts. There's an evolution to a fantastic. I think I mentioned it before. Uh, there's an evolution to a Pokemon called a Pawnyard. Evolves into a Bisharp. There are the, they're just these really fucking hard as nails Pokemon that are inspired by chess pieces. And there's mm. a new evolution now called a King Gambit, uh, who is just he's just absolutely incredible. And there was a very cool new Pokemon called Ceruledge, which is a dark fire Pokemon that's exclusive to Violet. They've been great. There are also there are these four legendary Pokemon in this game called the Ruin Legendaries, and uh, they're Ooh. very cool and very awesome. And even though they're a total pain to access because you need to locate a bunch of hidden things around the game world, they're like these these ominous dark stakes in the ground, and they're they're hidden in sort of obscure areas all over the world. And considering that everything is hidden in the world until you're like an inch in front of it for terrible draw distance it it makes like hunting these just a bit more of a chore than it needed to be but also to be fair the game does actually seem to prioritize generating these black stakes in the ground when choosing what to render so you can actually see them from a much further distance than anything else in the game but they're all great they're really really great they're really worth really worth getting there's the pseudo legendary pokemon in this which is a cool dragon ice type called backscalibur or Backcrack and Saxcalibur, as I've called him. <laughs> Again, I'm a huge fan of the ancient Pokemon variations that are in Scarlet. I've seen a little bit of them on the internet, uh, but I don't have any in my game yet. And I'm really looking forward to getting them um, because they are really, really cool and al- almost cool enough to make me think about buying Scarlet and buy- <laughs> playing playing that to get them like an idiot. <laughs> we'll see. And <laughs> even though I'm really not a fan of the terrestrializing gimmick in the game, the terror raids that are in the game which are essentially exactly the same as max raids from sword and shield they're still really really good fun they feel like events they're like boss fights there's a team of four of you going up against one massive pokemon and they're just really fun to do like i've I've played online a fair amount with uh just getting a team of of random people to bring down like a massive super super strong pokemon it's it's really really cool i've just had a lot of fun just jumping from raid to raid to raid beating big pokemon not even catching them most of the time but it's just fun to fight them all in all i can't really work out if this game is a six or a seven out of ten it's closer to a six i think because yeah like the the stuff that i did enjoy in the game is stuff that hasn't really changed over the last 25 years of pokemon yeah and the new stuff that i like just isn't finished but 
I have actually been encouraged by Nintendo's recent statement about how they are going to attempt to continue to patch the game to improve performance. And I don't know if they've got DLC planned for the game like they did oh, with Sword yeah, and Shield. Definitely. I mean, they, they announced the DLC pretty early doors for Sword and Shield. Like it mm. launched with a expansion pass you could buy. I don't know whether or not they're holding back a third pillar version of the game instead for this, but I'll continue to keep an eye on that and hope the games become more solid. And I really hope that Game Freak, Pokemon Company and Nintendo take the feedback as seriously as they take the income from this game uh, <laughs> and do what they need to do to make you know the future of the Pokemon series be the very best. It's a play date. 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 We're back with a play date. Yay! Fantastic. Yay. Two new games. Two new games. Four more years. <laughs> I am uh, looking forward to talking to you about Demon Quest 85. Um, I don't know if you did manage to play the first 84. I read a little pricey just to make yeah. sure I knew what was going on. Yeah, I did. I, I watched a Let's Play. <laughs> We're not going not gonna to dive into that just yet because, Chris, first of all, you need to tell me about Omaze. Omaze. I did not really know what to expect going into this one because the name and the title art just seemed so abstract. But if I'd looked at the title a little more directly, I might have been able to infer that it's literally referencing the experience being about navigating mazes around the edge of a series of connected circles or O's, as in O-maze. Do you get it? It's an O-maze. It's It's an O-maze. It's an O-maze. So things start off pretty simple. The crank moves your little avatar around the circumference of each circle, either clockwise or counterclockwise. The B button lets you pass into another connected circle. And eventually you're given the ability to zip across the diameter of a circle using the A button. The challenge comes from avoiding obstacles within each circle, sometimes static, sometimes moving, or sometimes the challenge is because of spatial puzzles as the crank will often move other elements in a scene as well as you meaning that you need to really consider your movement carefully so as not to lock yourself out of direct safe passage. The playdate screen can fit up to 15 circles, I think, or, or chunks of maze per stage, essentially. And while some will be made up of a series of linear challenge rounds, others require a bit more lateral thinking as you have to plot the best route through the orbs kind of thing. Things get tricky quite fast, but for me, it wasn't the obstacles necessarily themselves that I struggled with most of the time but rather getting used to which direction my marker would move when I turned the crank. That's entirely it. This is a genuine issue, I think, with not just my brain, but I think a lot of people who play games. Because case in point, I've played approximately 3 million hours of Tetris over the years. And yet it's only in the last few that I've been able to begin using both clockwise and counterclockwise rotation. <laughs> yeah. You know, with any sort of consistency. And in the hours I've messed around with the maze, I've still not managed to embed the muscle memory to know which way I'll move when I start cranking. Part of the difficulty, I think, comes from the problem that the crank is on the side of the device, and so movement is not relative like a D-pad. So on the screen, clockwise means rotation towards the right, whereas on the crank, that is moving away from your body. So it's a different axis of movement, essentially. And it's a little thing, and I think this is a me problem far more than an maze or playdate issue, really but it's made certain levels far tougher than I think they would have been as I might get through a tricky section, 
and then die on a really easy obstacle because I've hastily spun in the wrong direction under a bit of time pressure and then had to do the whole string of circles again. It's not too dissimilar to old isometric games as well that would make the maddening decision to make up on the D-pad or joystick move upright on screen rather than a straight kind of mirrored upwards input. And that slight disconnect just does something screwy to my brain that when I'm trying to move at pace, it's impossible. Because in my head at that stage, up is essentially moving right, left is moving up, and, you know, everything is slightly twisted. I think the art here is pretty functional. You know, there's no beautiful dithered sprite work like in Echoic Memory. There's no playful animation like in Crankin. Everything is made of abstract shapes and simple forms. So it's very much function over aesthetics. The music and sound too are minimalist to the point that having the sound on really isn't going to give you a dramatically different experience to just playing on mute. Cranking motion plays a simple tone that will ascend or descend in pitch as you move clockwise or counterclockwise and other obstacles or collisions play simple bleeps and bloops. It's about as exciting sound-wise as an old Atari 2600 game. (laughs) You're really not getting too much from it. There's four worlds in a maze with each culminating in a sort of simple boss encounter. And at this stage, I'm just past the halfway point now. So I've done two worlds and I imagine I will carry on to the end, but there have definitely been times when I've had to take a breather, not because the game is that tough, but because my brain and the controls just are not playing nicely together. I am going to hazard a guess that you won't have enjoyed this one very much, but I'm very happy to be proven wrong. But that's my my gut feeling. Okay, no, I, I, I did quite enjoy it, but oh. I, I have exactly the same issue as you, which yeah. is how many times I do even the same level, just going between two, even <laughs> literally just, just changing once. Yeah. And I'm like, my brain just will not play ball at all. And it's it's maddening. It's absolutely maddening. <laughs> it's a strange one, isn't it? It's a shame because I really like, I do actually really like it. I like how simplistic it is. Yeah. Not simplistic, minimalist it is. Yeah, again, it's like, it's it's asking me to do do something different to what I've done before. And I think similarly to actually what I'm going to come on and talk about in Demon Quest, it's nice seeing developers using the play date as an opportunity to try something different, not yes. necessarily yeah. like, oh, well, well, we have to use the crank and that's different. Just going, actually, you know what? No, actually, this is a platform where the general sort of mentality is like, all all rules are, are off. Let's just do yeah. let's do something different because we can. And this is a platform to do that on. And uh, yeah, it's another example of something like that. Although I cannot tell you how annoying it is. <laughs> I mean, well, I well, you know, you know, because yeah, you've, you've literally just said the same thing. Yeah, you've said, yeah, I should have listened. <laughs> like, like you said, it's not a play date problem. It's not an Omaze problem. I think it's a me problem as well because it's not like an easy way of saying, oh, actually, if they did this as an update, they could fix yeah. it. Aside from using the D pad to move around, and then, but even then, if if say right always went clockwise and left yeah. always went counterclockwise. If you transitioned into a circle and you were essentially upside down of that. Yeah or in a place where it's not then a a kind of cardinal movement, you know, yeah. you're moving in a strange way. I, I, yeah, I don't you know. I, I think it's it's an issue with building mazes out of circles. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is the fundamental concept of the game. So that's not something you could say, well, just put it in a square, <laughs> just, <laughs> just shift it out. Yeah. It really does. You know, it depends on that being the way you control it, essentially, mm. to give the game its own identity, its own flavor. Good game, though. Yeah. Conceptually, it's good. I just can't fucking play it. <laughs> <laughs> Demon Quest 85. Yes. 
continues actually on the themes of uh, school and classes from Pokemon Violet because Demon Quest 85 is basically revision and an exam in oh, game form. So the premise of the game is that you have found a demon summoning magic book. You want to try and summon the demons in there by reading about them and figuring out all the right components of the summoning ritual to successfully summon these different big, strong, spooky boys. (laughs) And you are based in your house and you can go to the different rooms in your house to select from a pool of different types of components for the ritual by using cross-referencing and your great powers of deduction, you then need to solve the puzzles of how to summon them. And uh, you need to deduce several things. Firstly, you need to identify a problem that needs to be solved, and that is going to come from uh, trying to help your classmates. And you can flick through your yearbook and and find a little paragraph about each of your classmates, and then you go, okay, that, that person's got a problem to be solved, and then you need to find the right demon to solve said problem. Then... You need to find the right music to accompany the summoning from a uh, a library of cassettes in your lounge. Then you need to find the right gift to offer the demon to entice them into your lives. And uh, that is typically picked from the pantry in your kitchen. For example, to summon the Marquis Shacks, a rogue thief demon renowned for stealing horses and monies from the houses of kings. You read their page in the book and uh, anything that's written in bold in the book is probably key for you to remember. So you see a line that says the marquee can make men forget anything. Uh, So there's your problem. The marquee can solve that problem if one of your friends has it. Then you see a line that says, when the marquee appears in court, he is preceded by a symphony of trumpets. There's your musical clue. And it also helpfully says that because the marquee is a thief and can steal anything he wants, a gift of some sort is appropriate, but he does not want for anything specific. So you'll be free to choose pretty much any gift that you want. So then you skulk around your house trying to set the scene for the summoning. So you head to the kitchen to find a gift, grab anything off the shelf, because the marquee is not fussy. You head to the cassette player in the lounge, browse through your playlist until you find a track that says it features trumpets, like the track uh, S-T-A-A-T, Start, which conveniently has a picture of some trumpets on the front cover. And the blurb says that it has a twist of New Orleans big band jazz. So trumpets should be covered there. Then we head to the bedroom to flick through your yearbook of classmates to find out whose problem the marquee can solve. And you browse through your friends until you find somebody uh, that says she has a very public regret that she wishes everyone would forget as soon as possible. But then you also need to summon a full circle of friends for the summoning uh, ritual. So in the blurb of Grace Wong, who has this regret, we see that her regret is related to a boy named Aaron. So we find him in the yearbook, add him to the circle, then you need to have four uh, to complete the the group. So you can add a N other. And now you can head to the attic to attempt to summon the marquee. And then you are treated to a little bit of story playing out with a few more dialogue choices to make uh, to summon them correctly. Not as simple as that because the marquee is not summoned correctly at this time. And so you have to go and summon another demon who might know a bit more about the marquee shacks. You then have to do all of this deduction again for another demon who wants a salty gift. So you go to the kitchen, grab some beef jerky, whack on another banging (laughs) tune to summon them. So you can then ask them about the Marquis Shacks. He says that he will only be summoned if there's a triangle around. So you can rebrowse the gifts for the Marquis Shacks, find something triangular. Dairy Lee, not in the kitchen. (laughs) 
I thought maybe you could form your group of only three people to make a triangle. Not an option. So I browsed through the other classmates to see if any of them had any triangle-based paraphernalia with them. And sure enough, there is a girl who plays the triangle in the school band. So you can bring her along as the fourth member to summon Shax. Doesn't fucking work. Reread some more stuff. Retry someone else in the circle. Unfortunately, you do have to go through some repeated dialogue when attempting the summons, which is a bit of a shame because the game absolutely knows that you're going to be attempting these multiple times and it would have been nice to have had some different dialogue in there to make it a bit more interesting when you're trying to brute force your way through summons after pulling your hair out because your aging brain just simply cannot contain all of the required information and much like with omaze i can't really fault the game for this really because (laughs) (laughs) it basically if if, it feels like those cross-referencing puzzles you get in the back of magazines and you kind of really need a pen and paper to keep track of it all if you want to make any sort of progress. I mean, it's a fun concept and I like it. And the writing that there is is witty and personable, if, like I said, not massively varied. And like I said about Omaze, it's an example of a developer using the play date as an opportunity to create a game that's just a bit more left field, even if it's not playing entirely to the play date's strengths. But I just, I genuinely found myself incapable of remembering the combination of factors I'd use to summon the demon, even if it was just to repeat it, let alone to then work out what element to replace in the combination. And I've, I've just been acutely aware of this cognitive failing recently. <laughs> Cause I mean, I was in the same situation with Pokemon trying to fill out my Pokedex. I'd go through the Pokedex and see what Pokemon I needed to get out of my boxes to evolve. I barely remember two of them, let alone like five, the five or six I was trying to. It's just getting older, being stressed and tired. It all sucks. And um, it's been nice to have a reminder of that on my birthday. <laughs> oh. How did you get on with it? I mean, I'm amazed. So far, we, we've played quite a few games on the play date. Sometimes one of us will naturally favour a game more than the other. Sometimes we, we both are broadly in line. For the two this week, we are so closely aligned in kind of our feeling about them but also the failings we found resulting probably from us more than them and yeah. this game makes me feel really thick <laughs> and and like you've just said i don't think generally we can say that's a direct failing on the game itself absolutely not it does everything to help you like it even like makes notes in yeah. the demon book when you learn things <laughs> so you can keep track of things and it, it like it puts like a big symbol when you can like look at something that's going to be different it's like it really does everything i like the idea that you're teasing these clues from the kind of necronomicon style guide Mm. as to how to summon each demon but i found like you said the bit about working out which companions bring along to each summoning nigh on impossible because (laughs) it always seems like there's a few things that aren't overtly explained and that's the point it's meant to be something Mm. you are puzzling through and working out but it's things like if a demon claims they like helping people locate lost objects and I bring along someone from the yearbook who explicitly says they have lost an object, how do I then know who else to bring along? Yeah. And sometimes that information is the bit that can be a bit more hidden, a bit more kind of oblique. And for a long time, I thought it was essentially just trial and error. But for the first summon, I I had to cheat and use a guide online. I thought I I can't come onto this podcast and essentially say Mm. I've made zero progress. So I cheated through the first one. And then things started to make a bit more sense, not to the point where I could consistently do anything, But it needs you to really read and absorb the biographies of every character and every demon in way more depth than I was anticipating. Yeah. Because you're essentially trying to interpret the more colloquially written descriptions of your friends and then attempting to align them with the much more florid language of the Ars Goetia. That's the the book you are reading. 
So if a demon boasts of being a thief, you have to consider how you might apply that skill to your friend's individual plights. And I think I started off looking for more obvious hints going, okay, I'm clearly looking for a student that's got a biography that says, my name is Jim and I'm planning a bank heist. When <laughs> in actuality, you're looking for a character who has had something confiscated at school. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get it back. And in order to get that, they need someone who is a bit tricksy, a bit of a thief. So the theft would be then to sneak the item back to them, not to pull off grand larceny. And that's the bit I, I was not anticipating, I think. But the rest of the game, the art and music are excellent. I really, really mm. like it. It looks and sounds great. The pixel work here especially is exquisite, really. It's really nice. And we've said a few times how when developers use kind of the display properly to make art, it can be really special. And really, like, this character in every still is just dripping out of this game. Mm. And as you mentioned, even the dialogue, once it's rolling along, once you've got past 100 full starts, the same few lines, mm. it's really nicely written too. And it's just the, the setup, it needed me to do more work to really pass and enjoy it than I think I have the physical headspace to do, <laughs> certainly at yeah. the moment. Interestingly, like researching this, the music is provided by the composer who scored pretty much every Telltale game. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think there's definitely elements of Telltale-style dialogue in this game as well. Mm. Because really, this is a point-and-click game built around dialogue trees and very simple item puzzles. And as you've said already, again, we're very much in line today, I like that the play date is encouraging developers to make short-form weird experiences like this, even if mm. it takes me longer to really get it than I would like to admit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all in all, two really good games that are totally wasted on... Both of us. <laughs> on both of us. Yeah. Useless boys. I encourage anyone with a play date to play them. And maybe enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. Tell us how you've got on with them. Let us live vicariously through your younger brains. Oh, I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. Those were our latest two games for the play date. We had Omaze and Demon Quest 85. Next play date is actually not going to be until the new year now because we've got some specials lined up for you over Christmas. But when we do come back with the next play date, we will be talking about two games called Hyper Meteor and Zipper. I'm really looking forward to talking about those because I played a bit of Zipper and I love it. Next week, we will be reporting back on our latest Fortnite challenge. Chris will be telling me how he's got on with Sunless Seas of Mariner Edition. And I will be telling Chris how I got on with the Aquatic Adventures of the Last Human. Is that what that's it's called? That's it, that's it. Maybe that's where my brain capacity went this week. It was <laughs> just, just trying to remember that, that title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to talking about those games uh, next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed any of our episodes, do consider pledging to our Patreon, patreon.com slash o3cgames. Do consider leaving a review, sharing the podcast on social media, tagging a friend in it. Chat to us on social media. We're at o3cgames on everything. And if you really want, you can chat with us individually. I'm, for now, on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I you am, can't find Chris on Twitter. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges, but you will need to send a request if you wish to follow me mm. after some whippersnappers that I educate had located my social media presence. Oh no, oh no, not they may again. Be listening. Maybe they're listening now. Maybe. What are you going to do? What you can do is join us next week for Fortnite Report. Yep. sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor sequel cast 2 and friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time 
hosted by Matt Bradley Shurgi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network.